Jesus. I thank you, Father, for utterance in the Holy Ghost today, direction and for supernatural utterance in the Spirit of God. I thank you, Father, for meeting us, for opening our eyes to the truth of who we are in Christ Jesus. We love you, Father, and we'll give you all the praise and the glory for everything that's done. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. I'm going to start this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 2. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says the, the scriptures that we've been focusing on for some time about uh, at the end will be perilous times or strength-reducing times. And so in chapter 2, he starts telling Timothy to endure hardness as a good soldier. In other words, folks, there are going to be times where it's just tough. There are going to be seasons when things are difficult. We need to prepare ourselves for those times so that we're equipped and ready to handle them when they come. I believe that we're going to be in these tough times, these perilous times, these strength-reducing times from now till Jesus comes back for the church. But that shouldn't be anything that alarms us. shouldn't be anything that makes us to be afraid. Because the word of God and the name of Jesus are both more powerful than anything the devil has got. So if we just learn to and how to be strong, we can handle anything the devil's got. Verse 15 of 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul tells Timothy, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now folks, if the word of God can be rightly divided, then the word of God can be wrongly divided. It's up to us to rest in and to rely on the presence of the Holy Ghost within us to show us that which is right versus that which is wrong. We know that the Bible tells us that the closer, the closer we get to the end, the worse and worse men will get. Well, that men getting worse can only be one of two things. It's either... The devil is going to unveil some sin that's never been known, that's uh, worse than anything that's ever happened before, or the evil that men do is just going to be more widespread than anything we've ever seen. I don't think there's any evil that the devil can concoct or come up with that hadn't already been made evident in the days that we live in. But we certainly are seeing evil being much more widespread Men are certainly becoming worse and worse. Well, what's the answer for that? The answer for that is not to let the sin of others drag you down and discourage you to where it changes your behavior, changes what you know from the Word of God to be the direction that God has for us. Now skip down with me to verse 23. Paul continues to talk to Timothy. He said... In verse 15, we just read, study to show yourself approved unto God. Verse 23, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strives. And the servant of God must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. In meekness opposing, instructing those that oppose themselves. In other words, there's going to be a lot of times 
where we see that people are doing things to their own detriment. And we want to help those people. We, he's talking about Christians. We want to help believers to escape the work of the devil in their lives. He says we should do it in meekness. That means without a know-it-all attitude, but instead being teachable. But instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. There's a couple of things I want to focus on in those last two verses. Notice it says that Christians can come to the place where they are held captive or ensnared by the devil at his will, not their will. Now, there's several things we need to consider if this scripture is true. We know that Jesus spent a lot of his time in his earthly ministry talking about the authority that we have, the authority that man has in the earth. Jesus said to the 70 after they returned from their ministry endeavor that he had sent them on, they came back and they said, Lord, even the devils are subject to us in your name. And he said, behold, I saw Satan fall as lightning from heaven. And I give you power, literally authority, over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, if Luke 10, 19 says that we have authority in, over the works of the devil, or the, over the power of the devil, then how is it the devil takes ca uh, certain people captive at his will? Notice the preceding verse. We'll read verse 25 again. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. One of the things that has happened over the last, well, really just the last year, I guess, most of 2020 at least, and it's been surprising to me, even though I knew that some of it was coming, but I didn't realize the extent or the intensity of it. There are a lot of things and a lot of people that have become offended over the teaching of the Bible and relating that to politics and voting and standing up for what's right and so forth. One of the things that surprised me, I've come to realize, it did surprise me, but the word told me uh, all of it ahead of time. Shouldn't have surprised me, I guess. But the offense that people have taken over preaching about politics. And I've come to realize that they fall into this category. See, I can take what the Bible says about the character and the nature of God in just one commandment thou shalt not kill. Really, that word kill is the word murder. The difference between killing and murder is murder is the shedding of innocent blood. Killing is just the ending of a life. But since God says thou shalt not murder, then it's very easy to identify 
that it could never be the will of God to vote for a political party that advocates abortion or murder up till the point of, death, point of birth and some even beyond. See, there's no way you can come up with the idea that that's the will of God to vote for any group that supports that because God can't support it because it's sin. So how could we, in good conscience, that is, if we know the truth, how could we claim to be following God's will or God's plan or God's purpose for our lives to align ourselves with a group that's, that has taken that stand? But I've come to realize that people, Christians that are in that boat, Christians that are operating that way, they don't see the truth. This verse here where it says, instructing those that oppose themselves, notice that last phrase, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. The word repentance is, it means to turn around. The word acknowledging means to recognize. So we've got people that are opposing themselves, putting themselves in positions to support those that are working against God's purpose and plan in this earth, those that have aligned themselves ignorantly, certainly, and I'm not using that as a, a, disparage, as a disparaging term or word. I just mean they're ignorant of what they're doing. And so to take a position that's contrary on any point, that's contrary to the character and the nature of God would be, would be tantamount to supporting the devil and his agenda. Here where it says, if God peradventure will give them repentance, I like another translation that says that God would open their spiritual eyes to recognize the truth. So here's the Bible instructing us, telling us the position that some people are taking with their lives, and it's certainly not just in the political realm. I've had people fight against the things that we know to be true concerning the subject of healing, for example. Throughout the whole 35 years or however many years our church has been going, We've had people that oppose them, uh, themselves because of the position that they took regarding healing for the physical body. It's easy for people to say, and a lot of people have, that God can heal and that he sometimes heals. But we can't believe that he'll heal anyone and everyone. Well, if that's true, then God's a respecter of persons. And we've got scriptures we're going to have to take out of our Bible. But one of the greatest, well, up to this point, I'll say the greatest spiritual war has been over politics of anything that I've experienced in nearly 40 years of ministry. Well, what are we to do? Well, we want to instruct those in meekness 
instruct those that are opposing themselves, praying for them. That was all about Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 where he prayed that God would open the eyes of our understanding or open our spiritual eyes to know the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance of the saints and the exceeding greatness of his power that works in us as believers. Folks, at the time that Paul writes this letter to Timothy, Timothy is the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And so the letter that he writes to the Ephesians, even though he wrote it some years before this letter to Timothy, the letter that he wrote to the Ephesians dovetails perfectly into what Paul is telling Timothy as the pastor of the church. Let's go back to verse 26. That they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. The reason they're in the snare of the devil is because they're operating contrary to God's purpose or contrary to the word of God in their lives. And that's what's caused them to be ensnared. But notice again that last phrase, who are taken captive by him at his will. At his will. I'm going to remind you of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Peter wrote to the church. He said, be sober and be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, doesn't say he is one. It says he's as one. I think it bears consideration what being as or like a roaring lion is. Well, he uses the descriptive term to d define it. He says the devil just makes a lot of noise. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for who will give him permission. Now, nobody knowingly gives the devil permission to operate in their lives. Nobody looks and says, well, okay, we've got the blessing of God on one hand. We've got the work of the devil on the other hand. I choose the devil. But when somebody's spiritual eyes are closed, when somebody can't see spiritually, that which benefits or brings blessing into their own lives, then they'll make a choice many times for the devil, not even knowing it's the devil's work, perhaps. So he says, be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as or like a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour, whom, here's the answer, whom resists steadfast in the faith knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. We know further from what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he said, we, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What are those strongholds? He goes on to say in verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself into the against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Very simply, he's saying wrong thinking is what brings people to be in the snare of the devil and wrong thinking keeps them from escaping that snare. So when somebody is taken captive by the devil at his will, 
by a simple process of elimination, we recognize that it's a stronghold or wrong thinking in their lives. Now, how do you get everybody to think right? Study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. One of the things that I've, uh, well, there's a lot of examples that we could give, and I really don't want to take the time to give a lot of them. But we'll use an example that uh, we've told you a little bit about prior to today. One of the letters that we got or communication we got, it came by email, I think, was from somebody that started watching us on TV accidentally. You wouldn't believe how many people accidentally watch us on TV. But the, she came across the program, and I don't know what it was that we were teaching on, but she kind of got hooked. It sparked, uh, sparked an interest in her. She was already a Christian, but she started watching, and then she went to the website and just started diving in to the teaching of the Word. And so she was writing to tell us what a blessing the TV program and the, uh, the online access had been to her. And then she said this, she said, and don't stop preaching about politics. She said, I'm a physics professor at a Southern California, large Southern California university. Well, you know what the political climate is in that territory. And she said that she had always followed politically, voted for politically, the left-wing candidates, Democratic candidates. But she said, some of the things that you said got me to thinking in a different way than I'd ever thought before. And she came to the realization that the Bible was true, that acting on the Word of God, operating in the characteristics of the Word of God as identified by the Scripture, was a way of aligning herself with what God's will is for her in her life. And I've got to say, folks, the, the mail that we get, we don't get a whole lot, but the mail that we get is probably five to one thanking us for what we're doing and supporting what we're doing as opposed to complaining about preaching on politics or whatever. I know I, I only tell about the things that are on the negative side. I kind of knew that. But it's not that way all the time. But I've also found on the negative side that there are certain people that I'm personally aware of and, and honestly, I don't ask you how you vote. I don't care how you vote. Well, I do care how you vote. But it's not my responsibility whether you vote right or wrong. My responsibility is to share the truth with you as I believe the Holy Spirit is directing me to. And then you make up your own mind. I don't check the rest of your life to see if you're sinning. 
I just share what the Word says and leave it up to you. The only difference is, if you choose to sin in your life, that sin's not going to affect me in my life. But if you support the devil's agenda in your vote, that does affect my life. Our positions affect all of our lives. So how do you get people to think right? Folks, the only remedy to wrong thinking is right thinking. And the only source for truth or the foundation for truth is the word of God. But I've recognized, I've come to realize, I didn't know this so specifically before, but I've come to realize that there are, there are Christians who have made up their mind that they won't hear anything else in the area of politics or hear anything that contradicts their ideas or posi political positions. And so they can't even recognize the truth. We've had people that have said that they'll never come back to our church because of our political position. Well, that's okay. We've had folks leave for any number of reasons. But I'm really not trying to make anybody upset or offend anybody. But we're in a situation right now, folks, in our country that will greatly affect all of us. We're in a struggle whether we know we are or not. We're in a struggle with the forces of evil. And that struggle will determine which way our country goes. We know what God's purpose is or God's plan. The Bible says pray for those that are in authority. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Because God wills for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So it's God's will that there be peace in our country. It's God's will that we should follow scriptural principles of goodness and honesty and truth. That's what God wants. But we're dealing with ungodly people who, whether they know it or not, are being forced by the devil to take a position against righteousness. So when the Bible tells us to meekly instruct those that oppose themselves, we can honestly say, I can honestly say, I'm trying to tell you the truth for your own good. Not for my good. But for your own good. And there's no way that you can honestly operate in the authority that God has given to us and made available to us through the work of Jesus if we're ensnared in the, de in the devil's trap in other areas of our lives. Our lives are not meant to be compartmentalized. Our lives are not intended to be something where we can say, in this area I'm following God, but in this area I'm ensnared by the devil at his will. God wants you to be free. He said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. 
The only source for truth is the word of God. But so many people that take a contrary position politically don't want you to mix the Bible in with politics. Well, then how are you going to know the truth? Your ability to know and follow the truth in any area of life, in every area of life, comes down to the knowledge of the word. That's why we're supposed to study to show ourselves approved unto God. That's why we're supposed to come to the place, the realization, where we can rightly divide the word of truth because it's based on knowledge of the word. We have authority over the devil. And every person that has relinquished that authority over the devil to become ensnared by him at his will. has come to that place because they've thought wrong and they thought wrong long enough to where it's built up a stronghold or created a stronghold in their lives. Now I want you to turn back with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 tells us about the dedication of Solomon's temple, one of the high points in Israel, Israel's history. Chapter 6 tells us about all the sacrifices and all the things that were offered unto God. Chapter 7, now verse 1, now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord, because the glory of the Lord had filled the house, had filled the Lord's house. Skip down with me. To verse 11. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that came into Solomon's heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house he, proper, he prosperously effected. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and I have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. God wants the, the land of his people to be healed. God wants things to be right. He wants righteousness to prevail. Now, if God ever wanted that for Israel, how could he ever not want it for his church? God's plan never changes. God's will never changes. If he ever wanted that, then he always wants that. Now turn with me to chapter 20. What does this look like? What does this prayer that he tells us, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear their prayer and heal their land. What does that look like? Chapter 20 tells us, beginning in verse 1, it came to pass after this also, 
that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, and with them others beside the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat into battle. This is about 40 years later, about 40 years after what we just read took place in chapter 7. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There comes a great multitude against you from beyond the sea on this side of Syria. And behold, they be in some place, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. These mighty armies are lining up against him. And he knows that they don't have the military might to win the battle. So they're at the mercy of God's help. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, Folks, this is one of the most effective prayers ever in the history of Israel. You need to pay attention to how this prayer goes. And he said, Lord... O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? That prayer starts off with a challenge. Are you not the God in heaven? And rulest thou not over all the kingdoms of the heathen? Meaning, don't you have power against other people and other kingdoms too? And in thine own hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand me, withstand thee? Do you see the challenge that Israel is making here, that Jehoshaphat is making toward God? Art thou not our God, who did drive out the inhabitants of this land before the people Israel, and gave it to thy seed of Abraham, thy friend forever? Notice he relies on the blessing of Abraham that belongs to them. And they dwelt therein, talking about the people of God, and have built thee a sanctuary therein, talking about Solomon's temple, Therein for thy name, saying, If when evil comes upon us, as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. Well, that's what Solomon was told, Israel was told, by God after Solomon dedicated the temple. So it's clearly passed down from king to king to king. Jehoshaphat knows about this. So it's something that Israel kept as a promise from God himself. And so Jehoshaphat just comes right out with it. He said, Lord, didn't you say that if we were ever in trouble, that if we came to this temple to call upon you for help, didn't you say you'd help us? Verse 10, and now behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir. He didn't start this prayer off with, Lord, we're being attacked by a greater military force than us. He starts off reminding God who God said that he was and would be to his people. And now behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how they reward us 
to come to cast us out of thy possession which thou hast given us to inherit. Now remember in that prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians in chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians, he prayed that the Spirit of God would give unto the church the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. That the eyes of our understanding would be opened so that we would know what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And we would know the exceeding greatness of his power that works in us as believers. Jehoshaphat's relying on God's inheritance. He says the land isn't even Israel's. It belongs to God who has given it to his children, his people as a part of inheritance. He goes further and he says, Lord, they're trying to cast us out of the land that you gave us. Folks, the knowledge of what we have as an inheritance, as children of God, is everything. And our knowledge of that inheritance is the only thing that really puts us in a position to make a claim against it. We're back to the word. Study to show yourself approved unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. There is nothing more important than the word of God for us. There should never be anything more important to us than the word of God. The word of God is more important than politics. The word of God is more important than sickness or disease. The word of God is certainly more important than the coronavirus. Jehoshaphat is relying on the word. He's relying on the promise God made. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? Wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that comes against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Now, folks, remember what God had promised, what we read in chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Folks, we have more people praying, more Christians praying at this point in time and up to the previous election that took place just a couple of weeks ago than ever before in the history of the world. I wonder if God heard that prayer. One thing that I've been surprised at or interested by are the number of people that I know, ministers and people that are used of God, that I've come to realize were prompted by the Holy Ghost to pray almost word for word the same things that he gave us to pray some years back. That the plans of the enemy would be exposed and revealed. 
and that those that align themselves with the devil's work would come to ruin. Now, not just word for word exactly, but pretty close to that. And I've come to realize it in hundreds of people. Hundreds of people all over the, over the world, all across the body of Christ worldwide that have been impressed by the Holy Ghost to pray those things. And those things have been prayed for a long period of time now. I don't mean people just got it last week or the week before. But some have gotten them as far back and perhaps even further than the Lord brought us to them. I wonder what the Holy Ghost does or how the Holy Ghost deals with a prayer that's given by the Holy Ghost to pray. We looked at chapter 37, Psalm 37 last week, which tells us not to fret or worry or get heated up by the work of evildoers. Because just a short time and those that do evil pass away. Now that could be pass away meaning the end of their life or it might be pass away meaning their position to exercise or influence evil is shortened. Could be either one. Could be both. And it says several times in that scripture, in that psalm, that the meek will inherit the earth, that the meek will inherit the blessings of God, that the righteous will inherit the earth. Over and over and over again, it talks about inheriting the earth. What do you think God means when he uses the phrase inherit the earth? He's not just talking about dirt. He's not just talking about the planet. But when the Bible says the righteous and the meek will inherit the earth, he's talking about dispossessing that which was held by your enemy. Well, that part of the prayer that we prayed and have been praying for a long time that the enemy's plans would be exposed and revealed, that prayer seems to be working pretty steadily. Now, why would God have us to pray that the enemy's plans and purposes and actions would be revealed, which they are more and more. Each day goes by, more and more information comes out. Why do you think God, or do you think that God would answer that part of the prayer which the Holy Ghost gave us to pray and not answer the rest of it that he gave us to pray? Are you of the opinion that God answers halfway? I've said for several weeks now, I have a witness and have had a witness all along that President Trump would win this election. I believe he did. 
What would the, the purpose for revealing the illegalities and the fraudulent activity surrounding this election, pertaining to this election, what would be the point in showing us that if God's not going to do something, do the very thing that he asked, inspired us to pray as a remedy? Folks, the simple truth is this. We're surrounded by lies. Men have always lied. That's certainly not true, but we have never seen it on this scale. We've never seen people, large numbers of people that were willing to give up what made this country great to follow individuals that will completely destroy and dismantle the system that God gave our founding fathers for this country to be built on. I don't consider that to be a controversial subject. I know people that don't agree with any might. At least I've been told so. But I still believe God's at hand. I still believe God hears and answers prayer. Well, did he hear this one? Oh, our God, wilt thou not judge them? Now, the them Jehoshaphat's talking about are the Ammonites and the Amalekites and the children of Syria and Mount Seir, those military forces that are arrayed against him. But can't we put ourselves in the same position? that Jehoshaphat's in when he prays this prayer? Does it not fit for us to say, O oh, our God, wilt thou not judge them? You said you'd heal our land. O oh, God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company. Folks, we don't have any might against a great company that's trying to take our country down the, uh, the, wrong, down the wrong road. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Maniah, the son of Jeel, the son of Madaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph. Apparently this was a pedigreed individual. Came the spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. And thou, King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Amen. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and you shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord. I believe that's what we're doing now. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korhites 
stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. They got to have a good reason to be excited and full of praise, don't they? Do we? I believe we do. I believe not only do we have the word of God and the life of God and the, the power of the name of Jesus to rely on, but I believe we've got a promise from God to do something about changing the course of our country or setting the course of our country. And they rose early in the next morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe his prophets, so shall, he, so shall you prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that should praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army, that means in front of the army, and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And when, everybody say when. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy one another. And when Judah came down toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked upon, unto the multitude, and behold, there were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry. And they were three days in gathering of the spoil. It was so much. Now, folks, I want you to realize something here. God sees the end from the beginning. And so God saw before Jehoshaphat even knew that the enemy armies were coming for him. God saw that Jehoshaphat would set his face to seek the Lord, that he would pray for the children of Israel, make a demand on the promise that God had made to heal their land. And he just so happened to influence these armies and the people that made up these armies to bring their jewels with them. Who does that? You're going out to battle and you empty all your safe deposit boxes and take anything that's of value in your possession. God did much more for the children of Israel than they even asked him to. I believe we serve the same God today. I don't know what you make of it, but where the Bible talks about the glory of the Lord, and remember in Haggai chapter 2, as a matter of fact, why don't you turn to Haggai chapter 2 or look at the screen to see what it says. Beginning in verse 6, it says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. 
The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. And the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. The greater glory, the, the glory of God being greater in the last days, in our day, than of the former can only mean one of two things. It can't mean Nehemiah's temple or the second temple because the people that were, there were some people that were old enough to have seen the dedication of Solomon's temple. And when Nehemiah's temple, the second temple was completed, they wept over it because it lacked the glory of God. So it can't be the second temple that's being talked about. So it's got to be either Solomon's temple or it's speaking figuratively of the church as identified and described in the book of Acts. Now it doesn't matter to me which one you pick. It doesn't matter to me if you say, well, Haggai is prophesying that the glory of the Lord in the last days, which I believe we are certainly in, shall be greater than the dedication of Solomon's temple and the glory that came as a result of that dedication. But I'm equally okay with the glory of God or the power of God upon the last day church, us, will be greater than the power that we saw exhibited in the early days of the church as recorded in the book of Acts. You've got healings and miracles in the book of Acts that identifies the glory of the, of the, uh, the church, the people of God being the church. And you've got the glory of God and the fire falling from heaven to compare the glory of the last day church with in comparison with Solomon's. It doesn't matter to me which way you go. The glory of the Lord shall be greater on the church of our day than it was in either of those two situations. And notice right in the middle of it, it says the silver is mine and the gold is mine. Could it be that 2 Chronicles chapter 20 is just an example to us to show how when God brings deliverance to his people, he prospers them along with it? I don't see any other way that the silver and gold being God's and put right in the middle of the glory of the God's scriptures would pertain to anything other than that. Can you? Why, why say it there? It's almost as if God is wanting us to believe in financial miracles as a part of the glory of God along with any other power of God that we would seek. If not that, then what? As we said just a few minutes ago, Psalm 37, talking about not fretting or worrying about the work of evildoers because the time, comes, the time will come when they get theirs and they have to answer for their actions. It says some six or seven times about the people of God inheriting the earth. I believe we're on the cusp of something that's really, really, really going to turn things around. Now remember what the Bible says. In the end times, 
And then it waxed worse and worse. If this election fraud is revealed and brings Trump back into the White House, there's going to be a lot of things that happen as a result of that. We're liable to see violence break out in our streets. Democrats haven't condemned that so far. No reason for them to think that they'll condemn it then. I don't even really want to speculate on what might happen. But I do know there'll be a pushback. I do know that it will result in persecution of the church increasing more and more. We've had one Supreme Court justice already speak out in a very, very unusual way. Supreme Court justices don't speak out publicly. But it wasn't but maybe a month ago that Justice Alito expressed his concern for religious persecution. I think, and this is just my opinion, I think that this election is going to set in motion some things that bring about the fulfillment of what the Bible says will be in the last days. I believe there's going to be a real clear line drawn between the world and the anxiety of the world the hatred. We think we've seen Trump hatred up to this point. Can you imagine how that's going to multiply? I think there will be a clear distinction between the hatred of the world and the peace of God. And remember, one of the things that the Bible identifies is the peace as the part of the glory of God in Haggai chapter 2 is the peace of God upon his people. I hope that you're practiced up in following peace. Because just as we're on the edge of the glory of God bringing in the precious fruit of the earth, I believe we also need to be prepared for violence and civil unrest in much greater measure than we've ever known it before. But what will that mean? It means we're going to have to learn to rely on God and his help. It would certainly be better for the church for America to have President Trump in for another term he's shown himself to be a friend of the people of God whatever you might think about his own religious condition or stance I wish Trump was a stronger Christian than he seems to be 
But I'm not too bothered about that because most of you, I would prefer to be a stronger Christian than you seem to be. But he's shown himself to be a friend of the people of God. He's shown himself to be a friend of Israel. Those two things go away in men, uh, instantly with a President Biden. I don't like to deal in what ifs. So let me just make a statement. If we're reading this wrong, meaning if I'm reading this wrong, and we wind up with the President Biden. It's not going to affect my relationship with God in the least. It's not going to affect my reliance upon the word or the power of the name of Jesus in the least. So on a personal level. It won't affect my relationship with God. It won't affect my faith in God's word. But it sure will bring some terrible consequences to the country that you and I both love. One thing I know, and this is not opinion, this is Bible fact. The one thing I know is that we're on the edge of Jesus coming back for the church. And there's still a lot of work left to be done before he gets here. It's going to take a work of the Holy Ghost that's promised to reach the people that God wants to reach before Jesus comes. It's going to take miracles. It's going to take signs and wonders. It's going to take a manifested presence of God upon the church and nothing is more important than that so what do we do Zechariah 10 1 says ask if the Lord reign in the time of the latter rain and so shall he make bright clouds and give us showers of rain and grass in the field. The only harvest God's ever cared about is people. So the precious fruit of the earth is people coming into the kingdom of God. And it is the character and the nature of God that just before the event that will take the church out of the earth and bring us into his presence in heaven, it would be just like God to put on his finest show, his greatest display of power, so that multitudes, whosoever will, would come into the kingdom of God and avoid the, the judgment that will then begin upon the earth. So let's ask for it. It's what he said to do. Let's ask for it. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you. And as Jehoshaphat asked, so do we. Are you not God in heaven?
And in thy hand is there not power and might? And do you not have power over the rulers of this world? Lord, did you not say if we came to you in the name of Jesus and asked you to heal our land and to overcome, bring us victory over those who would subvert your plan and purpose for this nation? Did you not say you would hear our prayer? Did you not say that you would heal our land? Father, we thank you for exposing the work of the enemy. We pray that that would continue. But Father, we also prayed that you would bring those that have aligned themselves, purposely aligned themselves with the work of the enemy that they would come to ruin. Lord, we believe you heard that prayer too. And we see you by faith working behind the scenes to bring about just what you promised in the scripture. We see that the world is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. In other words, for the church to stand up and be the church. So we ask that you would open the eyes of your people by the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. That our eyes would be open to who we are in Christ. What is the hope of your calling? And what are the riches of your inheritance in the saints? those riches in glory that we have inherited and that we would know the exceeding greatness of your power that works in us as believers. We ask you for the rain, Lord. We ask you for the glory of the Lord to be revealed. We ask you for signs and wonders and miracles. Grant unto us, even as the early days of the church prayed. Grant unto us boldness to speak your word by stretching forth your hand to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done in the name of thy holy child, Jesus. Father, bring about the precious fruit of the earth. We know to pray this, Father, because your word tells us to. But there's so much that we don't know how to pray. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, to give us utterance in other tongues that we might pray the perfect will of the Father. Ningurama <laughs> 
Father, we believe even as you told the children of Israel that the battle was not theirs but yours. We believe that this battle is not ours but yours too. And even as the children of Israel set forth the singers and praisers to give thanks for the victory they had not yet then seen, we lift up our hands, our hearts, and our lives and our voices to you in praise as well. Bless you, Lord Jesus. We magnify you, Holy Father. We thank you for hearing and answering our prayer. We thank you, Father, for the reign of God. We thank you, Father, for turning this thing around in our country. We thank you, Father, for healing our land. We thank you for fighting on our side, delivering your people. We bless you, Holy Father. We worship you with our whole heart. We magnify your holy name. Thank you, Father, for hearing and answering our prayer. Thank you, Father, for turning this thing around in a supernatural and even a miraculous fashion so that everybody involved knows that this was your work and not the work of man. We bless you, Father. We give you thanks. We worship you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's all stand.
Hallelujah. Father, we worship you. We magnify your holy name. We thank you for hearing and answering our prayer, Father. We thank you for victory in this great battle. Thank you, Lord, for fighting for us.